Due to a longer announcement on the recent pastoral conference in Africa, the sermon was not fully recorded in its entirety. Thank you for understanding. This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Redemption. So good to bring the word to my home church. It's good to be back. We had a great trip, as you heard. It was exciting. Today, I want to dig into God's word, and I have some challenging things to bring to you. Um, Ethan did a marvelous job uh, going through this passage a couple weeks ago, and this isn't a repeat. Um, We could preach on these verses every week for the next five years and still not exhaust the glory and the commands of these passages. The big idea we're going to look at today is that the mission of the church is clear. Disciple the nations. However, before we get into that, um, today's lesson will be, we'll have a little English lesson. We'll learn about some things about inspiration and authority of the scripture. We'll also teach a few Greek words along the way. But more importantly, I want to challenge you to your position on discipleship. So before we start, I'm going to ask you to pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray about three things. Pray for me that as I deliver this message, that I'll be clear, that you'll understand the principles that I'm trying to get across, and that I will be able to communicate that to this group. Secondly, I would ask you to pray in a group this size, there may be people here today who have yet to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if that's the case and that's you, I pray that today would be the day that you surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ. The third thing I want you to pray about is for yourself. That pray that if the Spirit puts something on your heart today as we study this word and we dig deep into what God has for us, that you will obey whatever the Spirit tells you to do. So let's pray for those three things. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the great creator God, that you are the maker of heaven and earth, and that, Father, you are holy and righteous, and we are not. We are sinners. And, Father, we need your salvation. We are thankful that Jesus came and died and rose again, that we might have that eternal life. And, Father, we know that we must believe in you. So, Father, I pray today that regardless of where we're at, that you would challenge our hearts. Father, I pray that you would give me the words to share that you have put on my heart that would be clear, that would be true to your word, and that would be a reflection of your true commands. Father, I pray for those who are here who have yet to trust you. I pray that today is their day of salvation. And then, Father, I also pray for everyone here who's listening and those who may be listening online, that we would be renewed in our spirit. Father, that as you hear the word proclaimed, that if the Spirit moves in their hearts to do something, to make a decision, to make a commitment, to make a change, that they would be bold to step out and make that decision for you. Father, we know that you are a great, mighty God. You are glorious in all that you do. Be with us as we spend this time in your word. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To get us started this morning, I'd like to... Ask for a show of hands. How many of you heard 
understood the gospel and received Christ as your savior before the age of 18. Great, thanks. That's a similar response that we had in the first service. Probably about 80 to 90% of the people in this room received Christ at a young age. That was not my experience. Although I grew up in a very loving home, I did not understand, nor did anybody tell me why Jesus had died until I was 20 years old. When I was 20 years old, between my junior and sophomore year in college, I came home one summer, and a friend of mine, who I had known in high school, was concerned about my salvation. And that person came to me, and they shared the gospel with me. They told me that God was the creator God. He was perfectly righteous and holy and just. They also told me that I was a sinner, and that I needed, I had fallen short of the glory of God, and I needed to receive Christ as my Savior. That Christ had died for my sins, and that I needed to put my faith in Him. But being the arrogant college student that I was, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. But this person didn't give up. This person then came to me and invited me to attend church. And I thought, sure, I'll go to church. So I went. Still didn't receive Christ. But what I didn't know at the time was God was drawing my heart to himself. So I went again. And I went again. And I went again. And I went again. And this went on for a period of time. And finally, one Sunday morning, when I was sitting there in church, God spoke to my heart. And before the service was over, I went forward in tears. I sat down with people who counseled me, shared the gospel with me, told me how to be saved. I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ, and life has never been the same since. After that happened, things began to change in my life. I began to study God's word. I began to learn his word, and God put two things on my heart. The first was to learn this book. And my experience was just like Jeremiah. If you read Jeremiah 15, 16, he said, thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. And that was me. I had never been taught the scriptures. I hadn't learned the scriptures. And it was all new and the spirit was working in my life. And I studied and I studied and I studied. And I wanted to read that book and I wanted to learn to teach that book because I wanted people not to hear the gospel when they were 20 years old. Although I'm thankful that God saved me when he did. But he put something else on my heart and that was if I was to obey the gospel, I needed to teach others about Jesus. So I studied and I studied and I learned. And a couple years later, I had the opportunity and the privilege to study at Grace Theological Seminary. And it was there I was able to sit under the feet of many godly, scholarly men who taught me this book and taught me to understand this book and to taught me how to teach this book. And I will forever be grateful for those professors, those people who poured into my life and helped me 
learn about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at a passage, which, like I said, Ethan did a wonderful job getting us going with that a couple weeks ago. It's Matthew 28, 18 to 20. We call it the Great Commission. I'd like to divide that up into three different parts. We're going to divide it into three sections. The first section is going to be called the conferred control of Jesus. Now, in English, sometimes we don't use that term a whole lot, conferred. We think of that oftentimes in an academic setting. We say we confer a degree upon somebody. We do that with titles like mayor or president, or when someone is elected to an office, we then confer that title upon them. It may be a title at a job, you may get promoted, and now, and that whole conferring is when somebody in authority then takes that authority and then confers something upon another person. And that's exactly what we see in this passage. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, usually when we look at this passage, we just say, well, that's the passage it says, tell people about Jesus. And that's true. But there's so much more in this passage than just teaching people about Jesus. That word for authority there is exousia. May I say that? Exousia. It just sounds fun, right? Greek words are always just fun to say. Exousia means from ek, out of, and then this whole ami, this I me. It's, it's, a, it's a statement of being, and we'll talk about this when we get to the end of the message. But, and so this is not power like we see in Acts 1.8, where it says you will see power when the Holy Spirit, different word. This is having to do with conferred authority. It's authority that is given by somebody else to somebody else. The reason this is significant is that, look at those verse says, all authority has been given unto me. Well, that's an interesting thought because you might say, well, doesn't Jesus have the authority? He says that authority has been given unto me. So I want you to think through that for a minute. If we would look at passages like John chapter 1, turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. Very familiar verse, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What does that tell us about Jesus? He was God. He is God, he was with God, and he created all things. Jesus Christ is the agent that the Trinity used to create the physical universe and all that exists. Then turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation 4, 11, we see some more familiar verses. And it says, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. What 
is Jesus in that passage being worshipped for? He's not being worshipped and given and given worthy and glory and honor because he died for our sins. He did that, and we do praise him for that. What in that passage he's given glory and honor for is that he created. He is the creator God. If you get nothing else out of today's message, remember this. He who creates is Lord. If you have the power to create, you are Lord over that creation. You set the rules. You determine what's right. You determine what's fair. You determine how your folks are to be treated. Because by the very nature that you created, you are Lord over that creation. So when we talk, sometimes in Christian circles, we might talk about making Jesus Lord. You don't make Jesus Lord. Jesus already is Lord. And he has been Lord from all eternity past. You don't make him Lord. He is Lord. You just acknowledge that. That's why in Philippians, we see a, the passage in Philippians 2, where it tells us that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, what that means is that you will either confess Jesus Christ as Lord here and now, or you will confess him as Lord in a godless eternity in hell. Because it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And why is that? Because he's the creator God. You don't make him Lord. He is Lord. So he has that authority. But then he says in that passage, that authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What's that about? Does that raise any questions for anybody? Well, when we look at the Trinity and we teach what's called Christology, we see that Jesus in before the world existed is eternally existent. He's co-equal with each of the members of the Trinity. He's 100% God. But in his incarnation, when he takes on a body, he is permanently now indwelt in a body. He now has a human nature. While on earth, he had a human nature. He also has his divine nature. He's 100% God, 100% man. He is the one and only God-man. He's always 100% God. He's always 100% man. And that's what makes him so unique. Because he is the only one who has ever become the God-man. And in that, you see like that passage in Philippians, in, in his humanity, he often sets aside some of his prerogatives that he could exercise to submit to the will of his father. And that's why as you go through the New Testament and he's asked questions, 
And he says, well, I do what the Father told me to do. You say, I thought you were in charge. Well, he is in charge, and in his divinity, he would never set aside his divinity. But he would also never set aside his humanity because it was important that he die as a 100% man so that he could pay 100% of the penalty for the sin of the people. So he is the God-man. He has been God from eternity past. He is now, at this time, where he's giving us this passage, is being the God-man on earth. And he's also going to show, demonstrate his authority that he is not any ordinary man. So the first thing he's going to show us, one of the things, is his authority over sickness and disability. When John's disciples come to him to see if he's really the Messiah or not, he doesn't say, well, of course I am. What does he tell them? He says, you go back and say this, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The good news is being preached to the gospel and the dead are being raised to life. He said, go tell John that. We also see his authority over sin. We all know the story about the friends bringing the man on the bed to, through the roof and, and they, they want to bring him to Jesus so he can be healed. And when Jesus sees the man, obviously he knows that he's lame and he knows that's what they brought him there for. But what does Jesus say when he looks at him? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And then everybody's in an uproar. Only God can forgive sins. Well, yeah, of course. And, and so then what does he say? Okay, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And so he said, okay, then get up and walk. And up he goes. So Jesus demonstrates his authority over, over um, sin. Um, he also demonstrates his authority over nature. Remember the story when Jesus is in the boat with his disciples and the storm's getting crazy and the water's coming in and these guys are panicking. They think they're going to die and they go, wake up, Jesus. They, Jesus, get up. Don't you care that we're perishing? We're dying out here. Jesus gets up, looks around, sees the storm, and what's he do? He says, peace, be still. And the waters are perfectly calm. And what do his disciples say? They say, wow, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? Now, why do the winds and the waves obey him? because he created the winds and the waves. It was no surprise to him, and he wasn't going to let them perish, because he who creates is Lord. He created those winds and waves, and he has all authority over them. The next thing we see is his authority over demons and over Satan. He's casting out demons, and they're starting to proclaim him as the Christ, and he says, demons, be quiet and they're quiet. Then Satan comes to Jesus, and he tempts him. He tempts him three times. The first time he tempts him, Jesus responds with scripture. Satan tempts him again, and he responds with scripture. Satan tempts him again, and he responds with scripture. And finally, he looks at Satan and says, Satan, be gone. And Satan leaves. Why can Jesus command Satan and the demons to flee? 
because Jesus created Satan and the demons. And Jesus is Lord over Satan and the demons. They have no authority over him. They are defeated foes, and Jesus can tell them to do whatever he wants them to do. That's why in the book of Job, Satan comes to, to God and says, I want to do these things to Job. Right? He had to ask his permission that he could inflict things upon Job. Why? Satan doesn't have that authority. Satan hasn't been given that authority. He's a usurper. He's a liar. He's trying to take something that doesn't belong to him. But Jesus demonstrated his authority over that. Why? Because Jesus is Lord and he who creates is Lord. So all these things, whether it's sin, sickness, nature, Satan, demons, no matter what it is, he has authority over it. We see this in John chapter 11. Lazarus has died. He's in the grave. It's been many days. And he goes to the tomb. And what does he say? Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out from the tomb. He shows his authority even over death. Even death is no weapon against the king of kings and lord of lords because he is Lord. He is the creator God. And you do not argue with the creator God. He does what he wants because he is Lord over all because he created all. And then finally, he has authority over salvation. He tells us, I did not, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, why do we spend so much time talking about this authority? It's very important. In that passage, saying all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, the reason that's so important is, remember I said it's conferred authority? Now what's going to happen, see, at this point in time, this is Matthew 28. Jesus has come and lived a sinless life. He has lived a perfect example before his folks. He has died on the cross. He's been buried. He is resurrected. And now he's getting ready to go back to the Father. So what is he going to do? He's reached the end of his earthly ministry. And what was that earthly ministry? We see that in the Gospel of Luke where he says, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you ever want to know why Jesus came, that's why Jesus came. To seek and to save that which is lost. And a few days before this, he had bowed his head on the cross and he said, it is finished. He had paid the penalty for sin. He had died on the cross for man's sins. And now he's getting ready to go back to the Father. But he's not going to leave the people alone. What he's going to do is go to his disciples, and now he's going to confer that authority, and he's going to confer this job that he came to do to seek and to save the lost. He's going to confer that to his disciples. And he's going to say, that's why I came into the world, to seek and to save that which is lost. Now I have a job for you to do when I leave. You are now going to seek and save those who are lost. 
Now, when we say save, do we have the authority to save them? No, but you understand what I mean. He's giving them the authority to teach them about salvation in Jesus. And that's why it's important for them to understand that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Why? Because he's the creator God. He can give that authority to whatever he wants to, and he says he's going to give it to his disciples. Okay, that's the first part. I call that the conferred control of Jesus. Because when we get to that end, he says, Jesus said to them in John 20, 21, he says, peace be with you as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Once again, referring back to his submission to the father in his humanity, he's saying, just as the father sent me, so now I am sending you. Make sense? So then we see, I have a quote here from, um, it should be on the next slide. Um, It's the one, there it is. His stated reason for being able to commission them to go as his witnesses to represent him was all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He could confer authority on them because of the authority that the Father had conferred on him. That's a quote from Dwight Pentecost in the works and um, teachings of Jesus. So we see this, this saying, he's trying to tell us, I have the authority. 